Welcome to Digital Health Unfiltered. I'm Sudipto Srivastava. And I am Nick Jeans. In this podcast, we share our insights from the cutting edge of health IT. Hello. Welcome. So, Sudipto, you know I've been wanting to talk about this 21st Century Cures Act. I know, I know. You know, I think you've been craving to talk about this and do a podcast for close to a, almost a year now. So, um, so I actually went out and like read a little bit on this. And, you know, the first thing that amazed me was that it actually got passed in 2016. So like, help me understand, like what's been going on for the last five years? Yeah. You know, you, I think you can get like a, at least a master's degree or something in just studying the 21st Century Cures Act and how it's, the implementation is rolling out. It, it is really interesting. And, uh, it's been a, Kind of an interesting experience to just see it evolving, um, but it did kind of fly in under the radar in December 2016. There had been that presidential election, you might recall, and there was a lot of uh, folks wondering, like, oh, what what will this all mean for the future of the country and stuff? And then, like, this bipartisan uh, Senate bill uh, passed. Uh, it had already passed the House earlier, but uh, it was really like uh, there were just a few people voting against it huge bill that uh, had a lot of provisions for uh, the opioid crisis and uh, precision medicine, uh, reforms of uh, Food and Drug Administration, but also a ton of interesting stuff about, uh, uh, you know, uh, health IT and uh, how patients relate with their electronic health records. And that's, you know, that is the 30,000 foot view of it. Uh, Get into the weeds, it gets even more interesting. But um, just suffice to say that in those last five years, there's been a lot of rulemaking and interpretation of what Congress passed, and uh, and there was like public comment periods, and uh, you know deadlines have been set and changed, and reset, and feedback was given and stuff, and and really only now in uh, the spring of 2021 has like one of the major provisions of the 21st Century Cures Act gone into effect. Um, and that is about sharing uh, doctor's notes, provider notes, even nursing notes, and also uh, lab results, uh, blood tests, uh, radiology results, pathology results. All of this is kind of now default shared with patients uh, through the patient portal. And that is kind of a, you know, there was a movement that had been gaining steam in, in various uh, parts of the healthcare world. But uh, really, this, this spring, it really took off, and now uh, it is kind of the default across the nation. Yeah, you know, Nick, I, I continue to be amazed at your enthusiasm on this sort of topic. And, you know, just like we do on this sort of conversations, you know, sometimes uh, you're optimistic and I'm skeptical and vice versa. So maybe I'll start with the, the skeptical hat for, for now. You know, one of the big provisions in this act is around interoperability. And... You know, I mean, I had a, a, a recent uh, experience where I needed to get an x-ray of one of my elbows. My PCP had ordered that, and he referred me to an ortho doc, you know, all within the sort of same network. And, you know, I still had to, you know, spend 45 minutes calling five different offices trying to figure out if this could be done via Epic and transferred and so on. And in the end, I had to go pick up a physical CD. So, uh. you know... I guess, you know, the, the part that I sort of really worry about is that there's a lot of structural 
inertia that's in place right now that an act like this will take just either a long time and there'll be just so many sort of roadblocks, um, you know, that, that comes up. But, you know, you're the optimist. So hopefully this act fix it, fixes it. I mean, it's, it's true uh, the we didn't even get to like the part that might really impact uh, your elbow scenario. By the way, are you, are you okay? How's your elbow? I am doing fine now. Okay, good. <laughs> just checking. I did. I had no idea. So right now, I would like to think that uh, if you have access to your patient portal, you'd be able to at least see your test results, your your radiologist report on, on that x-ray. And that, unfortunately, is probably not enough for uh, healthcare providers to kind of make decisions on. It's one thing to see the report. It's another thing to actually see the uh, the actual images. But the next deadline for 21st Century Cures is at the end of 2022, and that's when transmitting the data and uh, really... Uh, AP, that's when the API mandate goes into effect. That's when it, it should be possible for you as the patient and the consumer to kind of pick a target and send your health records kind of seamlessly and effortlessly to that uh, that source, whether it's another healthcare institution or, you know, some service that, uh, that you are interested in uh, sharing your data with. Maybe it's a, a vendor that uh, promises to interpret your data for you or risk stratify you. Maybe it's, uh, you know... Uh, family member that just wants your, your information, that kind of thing. Uh, you should be able to have that capability from your patient portal uh, through your EHR vendor. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's what's really going to be uh, the most transformative part. We're talking a lot now in 2021 about the upheaval in the doctor-patient relationship and patients are seeing their notes before the doctor has a chance to explain the results to them or you know that kind of stuff. But uh, I really think the, the API mandate and when that goes into effect, that's going to be uh, transformative. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I this this definitely all sounds exciting, and just maybe for a few more minutes, I'll, I'll continue on my tweet <laughs> here uh, till you just convert me into a, a different uh, mindset. But you know, I, I really want to hark back to like six to eight years ago when we were working through like various stages of meaningful use. Interoperability was a big focus then. We spent a lot of time on direct messaging between hospital systems, the HISP protocols, and so on. And I have very clear memories and almost PTSD from the time where all the people that were impacted just set up these roadblocks. EMRs were the biggest ones at that time in terms of talking a good game, but just making it so difficult, whether it's in terms of pricing, you know, technology, making it available and just roadblock after roadblock. So, you know, when when we think of, say, the 21st century CureSec and all the provisions here with the APIs, interoperability and so on, you know, I do want to sort of step back and think of who are who in your mind are the biggest losers of this act? Because I think we should start looking at them to pick up sort of fights. You know, they'll, well, they'll be the ones who will lobby in a Congress and um and they'll be the ones that that will start creating the opposition towards it. Well, it it I feel like that uh, that ship might have sailed, and and I don't like to pick winners and losers because I you know I'm an optimist and I, I feel like everyone's going to come out of here uh, a winner with this law. But uh, I'd say if there's anyone, it's the EHR vendors. They they definitely did put up a fight. You might remember some headlines when like the. CEO of Epic was, uh, you know, putting out press releases and, and open letters, you know, decrying the risk to patient privacy. And then, to be fair, 
they have a point. Um, it, it might be very easy for a patient to get snookered and end up sharing their data with some unsavory kind of characters. If there's not like a app store kind of uh, policy to kind of uh, regulate this and, and uh, overview the, the, the apps that are out there, then uh, you know a patient could end up sharing their data, which is pretty valuable data uh, with some unscrupulous characters. Um, it, it, it is a risk and, and they're right to kind of point that out. But I, some people also speculated that the EHRs were putting up such a fight because they didn't want to lose their monopoly over uh, patient data. That you know, secondary use of patient data for risk models, for research, for all kinds of purposes, it's, it's really valuable. And uh, right now the EHRs and, and the hospitals uh, and the insurance companies are all kind of hoarding that data. Um, and now it's going to be a lot easier for patients to uh, make use of that data as well. So I think I think that was uh, you know the EHR vendors the, the hospitals themselves are at risk because they you know they benefit a little bit from locking the patients in and saying you know all your records all your data is with us and if you make it really easy for a patient to just transmit that data to someone else it uh, you know suddenly maybe that patient goes somewhere else for their for their surgery or for their delivery or for their cancer care. And uh, you know you lose some of that inertia and lock-in that uh, that hospitals enjoy now. Interesting. Uh, well, you're slowly trying to convert <laughs> me, and I think you are, you are succeeding. And it reminds me back to the time when we did not have cell phone port portability, where you couldn't take your number through different sort of carriers. Yeah. And as a consumer, I, I appreciate the fact that you know I have changed carriers maybe three or four times over the last five or eight years, and I've kept the same phone number. So I, I like that. So I guess, you know, now thinking more on the optimistic side of things, you know, and looking back at the experience that we had with open notes or with the star rating systems where, you know, doctors were getting rated like, you know, similar to Yelp restaurant reviews and so on, you know, and how much opposition there was, um, and both from within the hospital and, you know, some of the, 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 the old guards, so to say. So... I would think that if I'm a hospital and if I'm advising hospitals, I, they should get ahead of this thing. You know, during COVID, they did gain a lot of uh, positive credibility in terms of the amazing work that healthcare workers and hospitals did. Because um, I think, you know, at some point with acts like this, there's going to be when information comes out about how people are charging, what the notes say, you know, and people start getting into the peeling the onion of the real world of healthcare, you know, there's probably going to be some mudslinging that will happen between, say, insurance companies and hospitals and, you know, payer and in, uh, pharma companies and so on. And if and someone has to come out looking like the good guy, and I think hospitals mm -hmm. really have a chance to, to do that. And I, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I also feel that, you know, EHR vendors here, that the ones uh, that you sort of pointed out um, and the rest of the industry, they should not get to charge for this thing, you know. And this is something that we we faced back in the interoperability era from five, six, eight years ago, because you know the roadblocks created were like, well, yes, we can do this, but it's going to cost you money, and that's the reason why we can't do it. And the EHRs asked for hefty fees. The provider organizations kind of shrugged it off and saying that they couldn't pay it, and everything was, you know. And this dance went on for a long time, and eventually they were able to smother things. So. Uh, so what do you see, Nick? Do you see any hope that we can do all of that? Yeah, you know, the 
technology has really improved and, and the cost of interoperability and the, the, the ability to just seamlessly transmit your data to, to another party uh, has, has come a long way. And I, I remember in I, I, the era that you're talking about, and it used to be that you know any kind of new integration with an electronic health record, any third-party vendor, was, was going to take months and tens of thousands of dollars and dedicated staff. And, and really now with Smart on Fire, it's a few lines of code, and it's, it's all pretty standard, and, and uh, the interoperability is finally upon us, and, and you can plug in new apps and new vendors. The, the contracting takes a lot longer than the actual uh, data sharing. And uh, and the cost, I think, is going to be between like the the vendors and the healthcare institutions. It's really it's not going to get passed down on the, on the patients, and um, that, that's my understanding and anticipation. So um, I do think you're going to end up, but you're absolutely right that it's it's an opportunity. And hospitals that don't anticipate this new API mandate coming at the end of next year. Uh, are going to be putting themselves at risk because I, I do I do believe there's going to be a lot of uh, other hospitals, other healthcare institutions, and some new players that emerge on the scene and make it really easy to uh, gobble up your data and then make you a regular patient of, of their you know docs and their services. And I'm thinking specifically of those kind of new healthcare institutions like uh, like Roe and uh, Roman and. I don't know. They advertise on subways. They they go around the city and they'll uh, you know they provide services to, to men and women. Um, right now, it's kind of like a, a lot of inertia to kind of say like, okay, I'm gonna join this service. I'm gonna enter all my data and I'm going to you know get new uh, prescriptions and recommendations and so forth. But their app could easily just ingest all your stuff, make it a lot more frictionless to to become a member. And, uh, and hospitals and, and healthcare organizations are really, uh, they stand to lose a lot if they don't enter this space. That's, that is interesting. You know, picking up on what you sort of talked about, sort of new entrants, you know, on this podcast, we talk a lot about non-traditional entrants into healthcare. So from a business perspective, I think that there's perhaps even a, an opportunity for the revival of, um, uh, say, even Health Vault. Yes, I said it, Health Vault. You know, I remember mess- getting messages that it was you know, shutting down a few years ago. But, I mean, Microsoft and, you know, just like Amazon, Facebook, Best Buy, Walmart, you know, Microsoft s- saw a huge opportunity. And, um, and, and I, I see an opportunity for them to gear up for, for more growth in healthcare. Like they're trying, to, trying out, you know, teams, you know, for telehealth. You know, they bought Nuance recently. And they're slowly starting to put the pieces of the puzzle together. So, um, so who knows? Maybe a revived health vault. Yeah, you know, it, it's uh, you're right. And I, I kind of uh, saw Microsoft moving in the direction of supporting healthcare staff, you know, with uh, Teams and with uh, uh, Nuance and so forth. But you could easily see, like, the they could also pivot to to include patients and bring back Microsoft Health Vault. Um, for me, I think it would actually make more sense for a Google or Facebook, maybe an Amazon. These are like advertising companies that want to know more about about their customers, and you know it could just be par for the course that like they they could you know ingest your data and then tell you more about yourself, better data visualizations than your current healthcare provider can can give you, better uh, risk stratification and like prognostication, like uh, you know share your data with us and we'll tell you, you know, how healthy you really are. And then we'll also, you know, market to you some supplements or something like that. Certainly, I, I think that would be the route that 
Amazon would take. Maybe uh, Google and Facebook would each, you know, put their own spin on it, but definitely see it as a, as a possibility. And the, the reason their initiatives failed, you know, 10, 12 years ago was that it was just too hard to upload your data and maintain it. And, uh, and you had to be like a hobbyist. It had to be like your, your regular job to kind of upload prescriptions and diagnoses and test results and so forth. Now it's, it's kind of effortless. So, so maybe we'll see that again. Interesting. Well, um, it's that part of our podcast where we go into predictions. What do you think? So, I, you know, you and I have talked about uh, remote patient monitoring and uh, like part of the, the billing aspects of RPM can necessitate a, a hub and uh, like a lot of Bluetooth connections that are going to like a hardware device that's being transmitted to the care team and so forth. But I really think that uh, the, the future, the hub for healthcare, uh, at least in this country, uh, is going to be related to uh, the patient portal. And the patient portal is going to kind of, it's already uh, taken on an advanced role with COVID. Uh, people are scheduling their virtual care appointments and seeing, and now with the 21st Century Cures Act, they're, uh, they're seeing their notes and their data. And then next year with this API rule, it's going to become like irresistible. They're going to be going into their patient portal much more frequently to transmit data, uh, receive data from other sources, to okay data sharing with other apps and so forth. Um, some of the ONC uh, architects of this interpretation of 21st Century Cures Act, they, they use the phrase that, you know, 21st Century Cures Act is going to bring the patient and healthcare into the modern app economy. And, uh, you know, they, they're making comparisons with, you know, banking apps and, uh, you know, sharing Spotify playlists and things like that. It, it's going to be that easy to share your healthcare data. Uh, so that could be really transformative. And the home of that is going to be the patient portal. Interesting. That is quite amazing. I, I really love it. I guess, you know, now that I'm a little bit more uh, aware of the, the act and its sort of elements, you know, I, I like it. You know, I guess if I had to sort of predict something, um, I really feel the innovation is going to come from the, the non-traditional sort of players who see a value in taking that patient data, packaging it, and and brace for it. I'm going to say it. I'll use the word blockchain, but, you know, um, I know we have a... a podcast from like three years ago where we kind of poo-pooed the idea but you know with with all the word around like nfts and identification of uh, like you know really determining uh and, and locking in your sort of identity in a sort of crypto kind of a world I, I i see an opportunity for that those kinds of identities being created like you talked a little bit about you know patient data and like you know bad players uh you know, getting in and trying to get access to that patient data, maybe there's an opportunity for, yes, blockchain to sort of play a role here to really strengthen that, you know, patient identity across multiple frameworks and give it sort of extra security within the patient portal. So I'll, I'll leave it on that, but, uh, I had that, that is, uh, that is a lofty note to end on. And, uh, uh, thank you. Yeah, no, you, you might be right. Certainly a lot of risk, but, uh, potential rewards for the, organizations and uh, institutions that that move quickly on this 21st Century Cures Act. Well, thank you for educating me. I, I you know, I watched a lot of like ONC videos and, and updates on this thing. So I, I feel good knowing that <laughs> good and, I'm, and I'm excited. 
Well, I'm glad to hear it. I, I do think it uh, could be transformative, and uh, I hope I hope you get the elbow care that you're you need. That uh, technology isn't an impediment. To Thanks. That's it for this week. Join us again next time on Digital Health Unfiltered. Please note that the views presented on this podcast are not to be construed as the views of Mount Sinai Health System or the Hospital for Special Surgery or any of its affiliates.